Welcome to the Kohani podcast from me, Isaac Mwema. This is where we build each other up in the faith so that we can be a holy and priestly people. This means that we strive for and are changed by God's presence while also influencing others to be changed by that same presence. There is a relationship, a correlation between bread and water in the Bible. Some mystery that God wants us to realize today. May you open your heart and your mind that the word may be planted in good soil. Bread and water represent both hunger and thirst in the believer. That we can see a consistent pattern in the New Testament that whenever Jesus multiplies bread and feeds many, then there is a following instance where it involves a boat crossing the river. And so this is significant of the two great miracles that happened in the old covenant. And that is the miracle of crossing the Red Sea and the miracle of the provision of the manna. And hence, in the New Testament, it translates that this is significant of baptism and also daily spiritual sustenance. Just before God immerses us in himself through some seasons where he immerses us into himself, those seasons are preceded by seasons where he sustains us. He feeds us of himself. There is bread before the water. Matthew 5, 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. John six thirty five says, Jesus is saying about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So not only is he the bread, but he is the water that fulfills us and satisfies us. So this is a season of refreshing. And I just want us to delve into the mysteries of refreshing from the word of God. And I want you to be fully immersed in them and to be fully focused on what God is doing in this season. And all of us will be blessed. Let's pray before we start. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the great mysteries in scriptures. The mysteries are our inheritance and even unto our children. You've given the keys of the kingdom to us. And therefore, Lord, as we lean unto you, as we stay at your feet, Lord, may you refresh us. Come, O Lord, in, in, in waves and in depths that we have never seen before. Come, O God, and take us into the deep places of your word and your truths, places that will never leave us the same. We thank you, ever-living God, that in everything that you do, you remain intentional, that there is no mistake in you, and that, Father, even this time and in this season, Lord, there is a purpose to which it was sent, and that, Lord, it shall accomplish it. Therefore, we thank you and we give you the praise. Bless the speaking of this word. Let it be beneficial unto your people, to the glory of God. 
and the joy of his church. Amen. So in this evening we're asking ourselves why the bread is related to the water. In the first place we have revealed that the mystery relates to the Old Testament and we have seen that it appears in two episodes in the New Testament that reflects the pattern from the Old Testament, the two great miracles. But that why do they exist along each other? It tells us that God feeds us before sending us into the storm. Jesus fed the many, he fed the 4,000, and then he fed the 5,000. Then he sent these disciples into the storm. The Israelites ate the Passover bread before crossing the Red Sea. Elijah was asked to eat for the journey was long. Jesus had to take bread before he went into the cross. Therefore, there's a consistent pattern of God preparing us for times that are ahead by feeding us in this previous season. That daily sustenance is necessary spiritual energy that will sustain us in the opposition that is coming ahead. How prudent are you today to feast on Jesus on a daily basis? Because you know what? That is what will provide the excess bread that will carry you through the storms. There will be an excess of bread that carries you through your seasons ahead. And so... God does not call us to a storm that he has not prepared us for. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That he is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. He has already been giving you blueprints and hints and telling you to come and to eat and to feast because seasons of storms are coming. A crashing is coming ahead. There's something transformational that is ahead that will need you to be sustained in the moment. And so let us read the two episodes from the New Testament where the bread was multiplied and then the waters followed. We're going to talk about understanding about the loaves because Jesus was offended that the disciples did not understand about the loaves. This is after Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Mark 6 and also after he feeds the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 6, I will just be paraphrasing and summarizing that he went on a mountain to pray and that as he was he was praying after he dismissed the crowd in, in Bethsaida, that the disciples went with their boat and that just after they obeyed Jesus' instructions to go on the other side, the waves came. It's not coincidental. There's something that happens just when you decide to go after the things of God. Just when you decide to obey God. It is rumors that we were told that when we decide to obey God, everything will be easy. In fact, everything just becomes tough. That the winds just appeared when they decided to cross on the other side. That that happens because of our faith that God may show us that it is not by sight, it is by faith that I'm going to take you on a journey where only I and only I can be able to take you through it. 
So when evening came, they took the boat, they crossed the sea. Jesus alone was on the land. And that he saw, don't take that statement lightly. He saw that the disciples were advancing very painfully. And the wind was against them. There was opposition against them. How did Jesus see and he was on the other side of the shore? You could argue that he was on the mountain, but practically it's impossible. This has to be his watchful eye as a shepherd that he sees you while you are navigating in your stagnation, while you're going, putting all your effort down on the ground, but nothing is going on. He sees you. He sees you. He knows just right where you are. He understands. In fact, he's the one that says you must go to the other side. So he sees you. And about the fourth watch of the night, he passed by them. In fact, he wanted to act as if he was passing them. And then he saw that they were afraid. They thought that it was a ghost. And then he told them that it was him. They should not be afraid. Then he came into the boat, commanded the winds to be seized. And they were shocked. And the reason why they were shocked is because they did not understand about the laws. Because their hearts were hardened by disbelief. Again, the instance after feeding the 4,000 people. Jesus kept cautioning them over and over again. Be careful about the living of the Pharisees and the living of Herod. Kept cautioning them. Just throwing it there like that. So they thought that because he was talking about living, they... They suddenly thought that that was a cue that they didn't have enough bread. So they started to search for bread. And for sure, they forgot to carry the surplus of the bread that happened when the miracle took place. The miracle of the multiplication of the bread. And so they started to argue one against the other. And Jesus told them, stop it. It's not about that. He started to ask them leading questions. He started to tell them, he started to tell them, were you not there when I broke the loaves and I fed the 5,000? How many were left? Then they say 12. Were you not there when I fed the 4,000 previously on Mark 6? How many were left? How many baskets were left? They said 7. And they say, do you not understand? Do you not get it up to now? So Jesus wanted them to realize from the miracles of the bread. He wanted them to learn something, but they were not getting it. And that happens in our seasons of surplus. Once we eat and we become full, I'm sorry to say this, but we become dumb. We become slow. We don't take notes Jesus wanted them to realize, as, as, one, as one version says, he wanted them to realize that he has authority over all things. And therefore, two things that he wanted them to know, that he has the power and the authority over all things, despite limitations, despite the little that you had. How many breads do you have? How many fish do you have? The disciples were thinking that to feed the crowds and the multitude, that you needed to go and buy the bread. They, their thoughts immediately became 
those of a modern day minister that we need a budget that we need such and such a money that we need such and such a logistic and that is good to think that way it is wisdom but my friend when it comes to some things in ministry you're going have to to have to lean in on the shepherd and let him guide you unto the pastures how many loaves do you have he wants to multiply the little that is there to feed the many so despite the limitations jesus has power and authority over all things he wanted them to realize that but number 2 he wanted them to know that even though he performed the miracle of the bread they partnered with him in the miracle without knowing that as he was breaking the bread after blessing and giving thanks the bread was getting multiplied in their hands he wanted them to know that you share in the power that i have even you can calm the winds and the waves even you can multiply the bread that you have so their hearts were hardened because they were still being practical leaders they were still being logistically minded leaders they were being leaders who were reasoning out of the resources that they had and that was good and that was wise but it is wise according to our to our own understanding jesus reminds them jesus reminds them over and over about the living of the pharisees why does he keep cautioning them he was cautioning them against the hypocrisy of the pharisees and that of herod because he took them into the crisis of the storm to bring them to authenticity the reason why he told them to go to the other side is to make them to become we become in crisis the word becomes flesh and blood as we are battling against the waves he has not left us but he knows that we need that that we may become so he was hinting at the falsehood and the hypocrisy of the pharisees and that of herod they are not who they claim to be religious and political leaders but behind closed doors they don't have a heart for the people that they serve they are serving their own agendas so he was letting them he was hinting at them the reason why you are here is because you are here to become there is some authenticity that happens in the storms friends there is a reason why god allows us to go into the storms to become what we have been praying for to become more like him so it is during the storms that we collectively become bread to the nations and rivers of living water to the nations therefore we also become the bread and the water through the storms second corinthians 3:18 we with an unveiled face behold the glory of the lord and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit it is the spirit who leads us on this journey of transformation from one glory to another the same spirit would lead jesus into a field of abundance of 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 which and they would eat until people are offended that why are they eating on the day when they are supposed to fast but it is the same spirit that would lead Jesus through the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 
the spirit will lead us to become both in the bread and through the water. Crisis, friends, was designed for multiplication of the remnant. That prior to the crisis, there was a season of feasting. There was a season where God fed you in surplus and that he expected that the excess, the excesses of that season, the remnant of that season, will sustain you in your crisis. And so crisis is not the time to return back, to get the excess that we, that, that, that we despised. Crisis is not the time uh, to try and buy oil like the, like the foolish virgins. During the time when the bride came, that was when the, they were looking for the oil. They spent the oil in trying to become a modern church. They spent the anointing in being modern and, 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 and in putting a stamp on things that are unholy and unrighteous because there was a demand on them to look a certain way as a church. But there was a church that kept itself from any impurities and was waiting for the groom was anticipating for the groom. He didn't want any other glory apart from the groom. It was waiting. The groom was the glory of his head and therefore it kept the excess oil for the groom to minister unto the groom. So, we don't get the excess bread in crisis. We were meant to get it from the times of our abundance. And therefore, crisis was designed that the excesses that were left in our seasons of abundance would minister unto God. This is the whole essence of sacrifice and offering. The whole essence of sacrifice and offering, beloved, it is that you may give to God what he gave you in the first place. Is that you may minister to God out of his own hand. I remember when I was a child that my parents would give me the offering to put at the plate. It was it was theirs. It wasn't mine, but they gave it to me to put it on the collection plate in church. And therefore it is the same way even unto us that there are things that God gave us that he expects us to minister unto him with them and it pleases him. He gave you righteousness, his righteousness and his holiness so that you can walk in righteousness and holiness and please him. He gave you songs of deliverance way before so that in that season, in that season where you are in the storms, in that season where you are delayed, in that season where the tides are moving against you and the wind is blowing against your boat, you can sing the songs of deliverance and minister unto him. He gave you words of faith, words of wisdom, words of, of direction way before the chaos came. And during the chaos, he's calling you to contend with them, minister to him with them now. As Paul would tell Timothy, 
contend according to the prophecies that were given unto you. So God has made himself available to us to be touched, to be impacted by the last of our tears, by, by those tears, those, fine, those final tears you have cried until there's nothing left, those final tears, God has left himself available for, for us to touch him with it, the last of your devotion, the last of your prayers, when you have prayed over and over again aggressively and persistently, he welcomes that fight with him, he welcomes that contention until our last drop when we give him everything and we pour it at his feet. Just when we are at the brink of our collapse, just when the winds are too much, then he comes from the mountain. He comes into the water. John chapter 11 talks of the instance of a, of a young lady that the first time that she, show, she saw Jesus, Ministering in one person's house. That perfect love drew her out of nowhere. She didn't even understand how or what, but she broke the oil on Jesus' feet. She could not help herself. And Jesus said, whenever the gospel is preached, preach about this young girl. She could not withhold what she had, she, she touched Jesus with it. So this young, same young girl touches Jesus with her tears when her brother Lazarus is in the tomb. She is Mary, the one who sat at the feet of Christ. And that Jesus, because he loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, made them to wait. Your Jesus met the people whom he loved to wait and he did not see it a waste even for Lazarus to die and that's what Mary is crying at his feet in John chapter 11 Lord if you were here my brother would not have died Martha tried to talk to him and Jesus welcomed Martha to contend with him Martha wanted to speak Christianese to him. Jesus was telling her to believe in the miracle of the resurrection. But Martha was replying that, okay, he gave him a, a theological and a Christian answer. That I know on the last day that Lazarus will rise. Very Christian. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm standing right before you. Contend with me. I welcome that fight and that battle with me. Give me the excess. Give me unto your last drop. Minister unto me. And so when Mary came from the house after Martha told him that Jesus was there, Mary ran unto the feet of Jesus and poured her last tears. That last drop, it touches Jesus somewhere. And scripture says something that is unprecedented ever before in any other religion. That a God would weep. That Jesus was touched deeply by her last of her tears. God has given us the space to minister to him also. And so, God stirs a hunger for prayer. And for the word of God and for the things of God in one season. 
then the remainder of that momentum that happened carries us through into another season where our faith is pushed to the limits, where our love is tested. He welcomes us to war with him like a welcomed mother and he, con and, and he contends with us until we touch him in a deep place. The woman with the issue of blood that she has to she had to come, overcome cultural and social barriers so that she could reach after Christ and touch the hem of his garment. Jesus welcomed that. He invited that struggle and that pushing through the crowd that she may come. He knew in his omnipresence and omniscience, he knew that there was someone who was looking for her in the crowd, but she pushed through. Jesus was pretending as if he was just walking on, just like he pretended when the disciples were suffering in the boat. He was just walking with his disciples, but this young lady had to push through and he touched Jesus in, the, in a deep place. He said, who touched me? That touched me in a place that no one else touches me. It's a deep place. He allowed himself to be impacted by that woman. And that God doesn't mind even if what, what we are using to pursue him in that season is just our own need. But that for some of us, he has never had us call on him. He has never had us talk to him like we are talking to him in a season of suffering. And so he would bring us closer. He would use the circumstance and the situation to bring you closer than ever before to minister unto him. So in those seasons of waiting, he's answering our prayers. When we were crying and praying in our rooms that God make me just like you. He was saying, okay, I hope you're ready for so. It will happen in the water. It will not just happen with the bread. It will happen with the water. The God, God works in that season before the promise is, is fulfilled. Just when the, the, the prophecy came, just when the word of the Lord came, just when the promise came, and before its fulfillment, there is a season of delay. There is a season of waiting that has been purposed by God to make you just like him. We called it the spirit of delay. We demonized it already in charismatic circles. But I want to assure you today, it is a tool of God. It is a powerful and holy equipment to do a heart surgery in, a, in us. God uses the seasons of waiting that we can partner with him in the miracle. It's one thing to just stand and to spectate the way he brought manna from heaven and we can just celebrate and that doesn't change us in fact the people who ate the bread later on Jesus did not feed them the bread anymore because he knew he knew that they were coming because of the bread he was telling them this will not happen every other time you must know that I am the bread I am you must become like me to be fully satisfied So we get to enter into the creative process of God, just like it happened in creation. He uses the season of waiting to invite us in the union of the Trinity to create something in our lives and in the world. So we get to enter into that creative process. 
by hanging on the word of God until we see it manifest. Until we see it manifest in our city, until we see it manifesting in our personal lives. And therefore we enter into the union of the Trinity in our times of waiting. How do we have proof? The proof is that even us right now as a church, we are in a period of waiting. That we have been promised. Of an eternal union with the Lord. But that we have not yet seen him fully. And therefore we are in a season of groaning and longing. We are in a season of experiencing the tension between the world and our flesh. Romans chapter 8, 23 to 27. That creation groans for the sons of God to come to glory. And not only creation, but we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as as his adopted children. Including the new bodies he has promised us. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So he's speaking about the wait for the promise of the new body of eternal union with Christ. We are waiting for us to come out of this world of sickness and death and disease and suffering to his world of bliss and eternal peace and rest. But before that, there is a wait. There is a necessary waiting. What happens in this wait? We continue. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. By weaknesses here is referring to the tension that we feel with sin from Romans chapter 7. You remember Paul declaring the tension of a man warring between the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life. That you discover that your body is under a certain program. But that you also discover thanks be to God through Christ Jesus that there is a law of the spirit that is able to subdue and to overshadow the law of sin and death the law that is in the members of my body we are living in that tension and living in that tension during this season of waiting exposes us and exposes us and it changes us Because it makes us to long for him like never before. It makes us to come nigh to him like never before. It makes us to be dependent on him. So he continues, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own, God's own will. So there's a promise for entering into God's eternal kingdom with renewed bodies and with a renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sin, there is no death, but this in-between place, this in-between place called earth, where we are sojourning, is a waiting of the process. Through the waiting, God has orchestrated that we will feel the tension of death, suffering, and sin, 
And this drives us to depths of repentance and interceding for kingdom come. The longing pushes us closer to God until we see God come through the clouds and we meet him in the air. We are allowed to partner with the spirit in crying, come Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride cry, come Lord Jesus. If there was no waiting, there would be no such cry. The cry comes from our hearts because we know the failure and the guilt of sin, yet we have felt the pleasures and the joys of heaven. So it is a holy thing that God wants us. He wants, to, he wants us to partner together with him in the fulfillment of the promise and to partake in his creative process that happened before the beginning of this world. Through the waiting process, he's inviting you into the fellowship of the Trinity. The season of suffering, the season where you're pushing against the wind, was God's tool to change us and draw us nigh to him. So this is what scripture calls the dance of the two camps. The dance of the two camps. The Hebrew name is Mahanaim. Mahanaim. We find it first in Genesis 32 verse 1 to 2. That Jacob went his way. This was just some, some chapters later from Genesis 28. Where he had a vision of the angels ascending and descending. In a dream. And then he woke up and declared that that place was a place, was a house of God. The, the gates of heaven are found in that place. And so this is later on in Genesis chapter 32 that Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the, the name of the place Mahanaim. Not only did he see angels descending, which is what we want, that is the bread, that is the manna, but also ascending. He gives us, we give it back to him. In the song of songs, we get a perfect illustration of this mystery of the bread and the water. The bride with his groom, it does not get any better than that. That at the end of chapter 4, up to the beginning of chapter 5, she is welcomed into the garden to eat together with the groom of the choices of fruits, of the honeycomb, to gather the spices, to drink wine with milk. She is being prepared for crisis. This is not romanticism. Then the group appears again in chapter 5. Just like Jesus appeared in Revelation, he appears knocking the door. But the bride is not yet ready. She's not yet ready. The bride is concerned about soil touching her feet and her wearing the perfect clothes. She was not ready for the groom. Therefore, the, the groom leaves. And the bride has to pursue the groom. That is in Songs of Songs, chapter 5. But on her way, pursuing the groom, she is crushed by watchmen. She is beaten and bruised. It's only in chapter 6 where she finds the groom. But during the time of her search, she was left to long for him. And that's where the famous song comes, on, comes from. My beloved is the most beautiful amongst thousands and thousands. It was the song of a bride looking for his groom. 
So at chapter 6, when she finds the groom, we see her different. She is now glowing because of what? The crushing in chapter 5. That when the groom left her, he was being intentional. That when Jesus told her bride, take the boat and cross to the other side, he was being intentional. You need that crushing. For how long will you be unprepared? And therefore she is glowing. Because she went through the season of seeking her groom and being crushed. She has become. She is no longer just waiting for something to descend from heaven. She has become and she is even ministering to the groom himself. This is a beauty to behold. She is fragrant. She gathered fragrance that other time in, chap in the beginning of chapter 5. But here and right now, the fragrance is emitting out of her because she has become. And so she is reunited with her groom in a relationship that is reciprocal. And the two camps are dancing together. After the suffering is the glory, friends. After we have become is when the glory is there. So there's a dancing between the two camps. This time it's not only the groom giving her to eat. It's not only coming one way. It's not, on, not only just descending on her as it was in the beginning of chapter 5. Even her, she's giving praises unto the groom. She's ministering unto him. And so we were not just designed for receiving but also for forgiving. I know that in charismatic circles today, we have made it a habit to receive. And everything that we say, we reply almost like an amen that I receive. I receive. I receive. I receive. I receive. But that this was meant to be a reciprocal relationship with the Lord. That what, we, what he gives us, we enjoy and we extract as much as we can and we get the excess and then we minister to him out of the overflow. God out of his sovereignty has made himself to want something of us. He has made himself accessible to be impacted and to be touched by us. He does not need it, but he wants it. He wants us to be in that eternal union together with each other, dancing the turns of the two lovers, giving unto each other. This is Songs of Solomon 6 and verse 13. Now the other people are telling the, the, the Shulamite, the bride, return, return, O Shulamite, return, return that we may look upon you. They're saying, Hebu de Keza. They're telling her, Hebu return, 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 O Shulamite, that we may look upon you. And the groom replies, Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance between two armies? The word there is Mahanaim. The bride responds and saying that even him, he's adoring her because they are having this dance of the Mahanaim. Why should you look upon her? It's because I am the one that has made her to be glorious. And so the, the groom does not even come to chasten or to exhort the other people who are glaring at the, at the, at the glory of the bride. And neither is the, is the bride being 
prideful by showing off her glory because you know what? She's dancing together with his groom and both their glories are radiating on each other. So the groom left her in a desperation and in a search for him that she would long for him, be bruised in the process and turn out to be glorious. So the last of the food that she had and the spices that she gathered in chapter 5 carried her through her crushing. But yet she still continued to look for the groom. She offered herself as a sacrifice. The, the last that she had, she gave it all out unto him. And so she has become as glorious as the groom because of the crushing. And our storms, our storms, my friends, make us to be fully immersed into Christ. That's why the water represents the baptism. It is a full immersion into him that we become like him. It will not be manna every day, but there is a water. So friends, that's the mystery of the bread and the water today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have made yourself to be available to be impacted by us. That our very last prayers, our very last drop of tears, our very last ounce, O oh God, of strength that was left out of the seasons where you imparted in us, that Lord, when we learn to give it to you, it ministers unto you. That the excess, when we choose to minister to you with our excess, whether it is money, whether it is in righteousness, whether it's other aspects of the kingdom of God, it ministers unto you. And that many a times we repent that we have called the delay demonic, but that you are calling us closer. You are drawing us closer than ever before. We prayed more than ever before because you are inviting us into the eternal union of the Trinity that we may learn how to hang on your word and to see it made manifest that we took part in the miracle and therefore, Lord, thank you that you are answering our prayers through the suffering. And we thank you that all things are in your hands, even suffering itself, even death. That you used even death, O oh God, to reveal your glory at the time of Lazarus' death. And that the, prayers of, the tears of a young girl and her prayers touched you in a deep place. And therefore, how much more when we give us the little that is left inside us, the excess that is left inside us. Teach us to minister to you of an overflow. Bless this word tonight. Interpret it in the hearts and in the minds of these dear ones. All to the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name.